that if you love God, you're going to be driven into the caves continually so he can continue to teach you valuable lessons. And your call, therefore, as a leader is to serve and not be served from God's standpoint. What is the single most important attribute a leader must have? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. We are currently in the midst of an intensive study of the life of King David. And if you've missed any of these powerful teachings, you can find them on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. But today we learned through King David's example what it really means to be a servant leader. This is the next one in the David series, David as a Leader. Leadership from God's standpoint is all about serving, not being served. To serve and not be served. That's what leadership is all about. Now, if you're influencing anybody as a mom or a grandmom, granddad, whatever, in your office place, if someone is being influenced by you, you're a leader. And your call, therefore, as a leader is to serve and not be served from God's standpoint. That was a lesson God wanted to teach David. Now, the text today is 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 13 through 17. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to that, iPods, iPads. I don't care. Use current technology. Just follow along. But in order to understand a text, you need to understand its context. So let me give you the context of 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, David is now the king over all of Israel. He is crowned at Hebron. He is unifying the nation. Uh, It's a powerful moment in Israel's history. But the Philistines, who are Israel's mortal enemies surrounding them, don't like this unified nation at all. It keeps them from marauding, especially the villages on the fringe of the borders. So the Philistines come up with a scheme. They take an army and basically divide Israel, march right into the middle of Israel and divide it. They set up a garrison in Bethlehem, David's hometown. Now, when this happened, David with his 600 soldiers are terribly outnumbered, so they flee. They go back into the caves of Adullam, which I talked about a couple of weeks ago, that if you are a totally devoted follower of Jesus, he will drive you into the caves. Wani. And during those cave experiences, God teaches you some of your most valuable lessons, especially this one. No test, no testimony. No mess, no message. God allows there to be difficult times in our lives to teach us very valuable lessons. And I'd love to tell you, you only get driven by God one time into the caves to learn a lesson. It's just not true. That if you love God, you're going to be driven into the caves continually so he can continue to teach you valuable lessons. So David is driven a second time into the caves at Adullam with his 600 followers, the Philistines on the edge looking for them, ready to do combat. And in the caves of Adullam, God teaches David a very, very important leadership lesson. That leadership is all about serving, not being served. To serve and not be served, that's the lesson David wanted. God wanted David and all of us to learn today. And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, 
that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. So I mentioned to you that David had 600 men with him in the caves of Adullam. These caves were rocks and crevices, multitudinous in number throughout this particular part of Israel. And among these 600, there were 37 who were called David's mighty men. They were his closest military companions. They did extraordinary works. Some of them would defeat Philistine garrisons by themselves. My guess is they learned from David's courageous encounter with Goliath, which had occurred 14 years before this encounter, and they learned courage from him. And among those 37 mighty men, there were three who were especially close to David. And while he's in the cave, he remembers something very important in his childhood. You see, it was during the harvest time, our text tells us, which means it was hot. And in the caves, in these humid caves, David not only was hot, but he became very thirsty. And as he became thirsty, he remembered those childhood days in Bethlehem when he would be overseeing his father's flock and become thirsty, he would go down to the brook and drink of the clear, crystal, pure water of Bethlehem. Now, now here in the caves, as he was thinking about that, being thirsty, he longed for a drink of that cold water. Now, Now, water tastes differently from place to place, doesn't it? Doesn't Charlotte water taste different from beach water? And when you're at the beach, you go, oh, I long for that Charlotte water. It doesn't have all this fluoride and other stuff in it. Well, David longed for a special kind of water from the brook of Bethlehem. Now, now he did something as a leader that I do all the time, and it always gets me in trouble. Let me see if any of you ever do this. I process verbally. As I'm trying to think through something, I process verbally. Verbally, Any, Anybody else do that? And often as a leader, I'll simply be thinking about something verbally, not meaning for anything to be done, but those people who work with me and love me and are loyal to me oftentimes think my verbal processing is a command. And they'll start doing something about what I've stated, and I'll have to go to them and go, why are you doing this? They say, well, we clearly heard you say that's what you wanted to happen. I went, no, I was just verbally processing. I didn't mean you to do anything with what I was saying. That's what happened with David. He verbally processed, oh, I would love to have some of that pure crystal water from the brook in Bethlehem. And the three mightiest of his 37 mighty soldiers heard him verbally process, and they said, your wish is our command. And unknowns to David, they slipped out, traveled 12 miles from the cave of Adullam to Bethlehem, broke through the Philistine lines at that garrison, got to the brook, got David some water, broke back through the lines, and walked another 12 miles back to David. And then they gave him the water. We love you. We want to serve you. Here's the water. 
And David took it in his hands, and he poured it out. And the text tells us he poured it out to the Lord. Probably remembering the times when the priest would take offerings of liquid and pour them out as a gift to the Lord. And he poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Here's the leadership test God was giving David. God was asking him, David, do you think leadership is all about you? Do you think leadership is about using people for your glory? Or do you know that I want leadership to be you serving people for their glory? And that was the test. David was tempted to drink the water. And with doing that, he would have said, your job, men, especially you three who are closest to me, is to serve me. Your job is to bring me this water, and therefore this water enriches my appetites. Even though it might cost you your life, your job is to serve me. But that's not the lesson God wanted David to learn. As an effective leader who would oversee the nation through whom Jesus would come into the world and die for the sins of the whole world, it was very important that God got this message through to David. Your job, God was saying to David, as a leader, is to serve and not be served. And he was deeply moved by their act of compassion. He poured the water out and said, I will dare not drink this water that cost you, potentially, your lives to bring it to me. My job's to serve you, not to use you to serve me. This message is throughout the Scripture, folks. If you're influencing anybody, this is a message for you today. It is throughout the Bible. In James chapter 3, verse 16, if you're taking notes, write down this verse. Go look it up. James 3, 16. Easy to remember, John 3, 16, but in the book of James, it reads, Where there is selfish ambition, there is every evil thing. Where there is selfish ambition... There's every evil thing. Whenever a leader sees other people's job to serve them and their own selfish ambitions to be met through others, it invites every evil thing into an organization. Why? Because everybody else tries to get theirs. They see the organization existing only for their own benefit. The job of the leader is to serve not be served. Jesus tried to get that message across on several different occasions. In Mark, the ninth chapter, his disciples start arguing among themselves regarding which one is the greatest. And Jesus puts a child in their midst, and he says, this is how I want you to live, like a child in dependence upon me, believing I'll supply your every need. Because if you're a child in dependence upon the Lord, you can't seek selfish ambition. You can't desire to be the greatest. Well, then one chapter later in Mark 10, James and John, a part of Jesus' inner circle of three, just like David had three mighty men, so did Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Well, James and John, who were brothers, came to Jesus and said, we know you're going to Jerusalem, and there you will most certainly establish your kingdom. Hey, when you establish your kingdom in Jerusalem, favor, would you... Give us the second position of power. We get the idea that you get the first position, but how about giving us 
the second best positions of power. And Jesus looked at them and said, you don't know what you're asking. Great leadership sacrifices for other people. Are you willing to sacrifice in leadership? They naively said, oh, of course, we'll sacrifice. And Jesus just shook his head. Then the other 10 got the idea James and John were trying to move in and get their positions of power before they had the chance to do so. The text tells us they became indignant or jealous, and Jesus sits down and finally says to all of them, look, guys, you don't get this. You're behaving like pagans do, like Gentiles do. They look at leadership as power and control and having people serve them. It should not be so among you who are my followers. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, that kind of power and control should not be your desire. Jesus said, here is what I want you to understand about leadership. Mark 10, 45, Jesus said to his followers, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There it is again. The call of the follower of Jesus, especially a leader, is to serve and not be served. Well, the night before Jesus went to the cross while serving the Passover meal to his disciples, Luke 22 tells us for a third time they began to argue among themselves regarding which one was the greatest. Now, when we get to heaven, people have asked me, how will you know it's Jesus? And I think he's going to be the one with the flat forehead with no hair on his head. Why? Dealing with these guys who kept wanting to be the greatest and them not getting the message, his flat forehead's going to be from his continual, and his baldness is going to be from him pulling his hair out. You guys just don't get it. So what did he do after Luke 22 in response to them arguing among themselves regarding which one is the greatest? John 13 tells us that he took a towel and a basin and he knelt and went from disciples' feet to disciples' feet to disciples' feet and he washed their feet. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about a Davidism that says, the greater the level, the greater the devil. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning, your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. 
Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. Hi, Jen. It's great being with you as well. In this morning's e-devotion, you wrote that the greater the level, the greater the devil. Now, this sounds dangerous. What are you talking about here? <laughs> well, it's a truth that I've learned in life, but is also biblical, that the more influence you have for the Lord, the greater the enemy is going to come at you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people really feel the demonic attacks upon their soul as never before. And I want to say to them, perhaps it's because you have more influence for the Lord than you've ever had before. Mm. And that's what it's trying to say is the greater the level, the greater the devil, the the higher you move in influence for the Lord Jesus, the greater the enemy wants to attack you. So, Jen, let's spend a little bit of time looking at the devil. Uh, He is called the devil in the Bible. The Greek word's diabolos. It means the divider. Mm -hmm. So one of his great works is to divide. He wants to divide friendships. He wants to divide marriages. He wants to divide churches. He wants to divide our nation. I have no doubt in my mind that all that's been going on in our nation to divide us at its root cause is the enemy, is the devil, the divider. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul said in Ephesians 6, we're not warring against flesh and blood, Mm -hmm. but against powers and principalities of the darkness. Mm -hmm. And there is a devil. The Bible makes that very clear. Uh, How he started out, it appears, as you look at different verses in Isaiah 14 and 28 and also Revelation 13, that God created the angels as the next concentric circle outward, if you will, of creatures that he wanted to participate in the love that he knew perfectly in the Godhead. Mm. In other words, the Father loved the Son perfectly, the Son loved the Holy Spirit perfectly, the Holy Spirit loved the Father perfectly, and then cross-pollinization of all of those three persons in the Godhead. And then God wanted to share that love with creatures, and so the first creatures that he created were the angels. He wanted them to know that depth of love that the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit all knew together in the Godhead. Well, at some point after they were created, there was one of the archangels, Lucifer, the angel of light. And there are only a few archangels that are mentioned in the Bible, Mm -hmm. Gabriel, the archangel Michael, and then it looks like Lucifer was one as well. He evidently envied the position of Jesus on the throne of heaven. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to have that position when he knew he couldn't, and it was denied to him. And we always need to remember that all the angels are creatures. God is the creator. Mm -hmm. And even the fallen angels are creatures. Mm -hmm. God is the creator. That evidently, in accordance with Revelation, uh, we see that Lucifer, renamed later Satan, the adversary, took one-third of the angels with him and formed his demonic hordes, his demonic army. Now, the next concentric circle outward that God created to share love with was Adam and Eve, you and me, this world. Mm -hmm. And the enemy, Satan, the divider, the devil— hates everything that God has made. Jesus gives us Satan's job description in John 10.10. He says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So, 
Satan came to this earth and tempted Eve to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the ultimate human rebellion. It's saying, I'll define what's good and evil, not God. And then the rebellion continued that happened in heaven with Satan taking a third of the angels with him now on earth. Eve then passing the fruit on to Adam had that same rebellion occur. Mm -hmm. And now we have sin that has been a contagion in this world and separated us from God. Mm -hmm. Well, the enemy still exists. Mm -hmm. He is still here today. With Adam and Eve in the garden, he's with us today. And his job description is still to kill, steal, and destroy. He hates God's people, and he still tempts the same way he did with Eve. Now, remember this, that Satan, which means the adversary, again, can't force us to do anything. Mm -hmm. All he can do is tempt us with his temptations. And then once he does, he entraps us in either addictions or thought lives that are anti-God, actions that hurt us. All he wants to do is to kill, steal, and destroy, but he can only tempt us. We're the ones who make those final decisions. Mm -hmm. So with all of that information, we see in the Bible that the devil, that's one of his names, the divider, Satan, the adversary, that's another name of him, Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies, mm -hmm. he is like a, a wad of just disgusting waste in the middle of the field that tra attracts all these mm -hmm. evil, awful flies. He is just evil personified, and mm -hmm. again, he still exists today. So if he's still giving warfare against all that God has created here, it would make sense, wouldn't it, that God sent his son into the world to not only forgive us of our sins, but to empower us internally with his very presence, the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. and the enemy's going to come against our influence in the world. So thus, this message I tried to give on the greater the the level, the greater the devil, the more you advance in the hierarchy of serving God, the greater the enemy is going to come against you with mm -hmm. killing, stealing, and destroying to try to tempt you to fall. Mm -hmm. And if he can get people of great influence for Jesus to be tempted and fall, then of course he can cackle with delight mm -hmm. and he can advance his kingdom of darkness. Well, I can think of a personal story of application in my own life, and this is pretty recent actually, you know, stepping out in in faith and, and doing this great work with you and, and moments of hope and and launching some personal projects that have been a dream that really advance the kingdom of the Lord. I have had personal resistance in my life just you know, the devil is wreaking havoc on really the biggest fear that I've ever had as a child. It's coming true right now in my life. And one of my friends who's doing this this dream launch with me with this ministry that we're doing is is facing literally at the same time a very a health crisis that has been her biggest fear. So we just feel like almost like instead of giving Satan attention, it's like, we're just going to keep going. We're doing oh, something good, good then. Good for you, Jen. And you need to realize that, you know, most people know I played college basketball and we would spend enormous amounts of time watching the game films of our opponents. Mm. And we would study them to try to find their weaknesses in order to attack them. Well, the evil one does the same thing. He By does. the way, that's another name for the devil. Satan is the evil one in the Bible. He's purity evil. He studies our game films. He watches wow. our lives and he sees those places of weakness. Mm. You know, if it's fear, that's where he'll attack. Mm -hmm. If it's pride, that's where he'll attack. And he studies and then he launches his temptations and attacks accordingly. So it doesn't surprise me at all that you have had those attacks in the place of your greatest weakness. And I would mm -hmm. say what you've done is absolutely the right thing. Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said, I don't even give Satan an opportunity for his name to be mentioned in my home. Oh, wow. Don't pay 
him any attention. That's what he hates the most. Mm -hmm. But realize this, that the larger you get in your influence for Jesus, the greater the attacks the enemy will have. So I would say to you, Jen, and your friend and all who are listening right now, if you're feeling under a demonic attack right now, you're probably being used mightily by the Lord. Congratulations. (laughs) Keep moving forward. I like that. Thank you so much, David. And everyone, if you'd like to receive daily these Moments of Hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there and they'll arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 o'clock. It's my gift to you free of charge to help your day begin with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. Also, check out David's weekly Hopecast, They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem.